Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I'm your moderator, Crisis with a K, and we are here together with my two friends and mutants from around the world, Tyler and Harry, because we think comics, especially X-Men comics, are better when they're read together. So we're going to be talking about the two X-Men comics out on the 20th of January, 2021. That is X-Force number 16 and Cable number 7. Before we get going, this comes along with a spoiler warning. We're going to discuss every aspect of these books, every aspect of other recent books and Reign of X and Dawn of X, and Hox Pox and everything, really, all the way back to the beginning of X-Men, possibly even some other things in the Marvel Universe. So this is a full spoilers discussion, and you have been warned. With that out of the way, I'm going to welcome my friends Tyler and Harry, but to mix it up, today they are asking <laughs> me the questions yeah, instead of me yeah. asking them the questions. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, on the hot seats today. Okay, here we go. <laughs> all right. All right. right. So my question for you is this. Have you ever had to step in and assert your authority in a situation where people were acting either foolishly or against instructions all the time constantly but the <laughs> i know where i know where this point in the book is because i think you and i both kind of saw it and smiled and the thing it makes me think of is actually uh, our wedding my family has this superstition that you don't play cheating songs at a wedding, at least not early on to get everybody out on the dance floor. So like Band of Gold, one of my favorite Motown era songs, also a great disco version, don't play that at a wedding. So my wedding DJ was specifically instructed, do not play, and it was a very short list. It was like Band of Gold, Heard It Through the Grapevine, and like two other songs that we were just like, my family will be all telling about it and sure enough like the dance starts we're all you know ready to start and you hear which is the and i was in this long morning coat in my tuxedo and the dj platform was like raised up and i leapt like five feet over the over <laughs> th this chasm through the air onto the dj platform like it was like batman or something i was like turn that song off and so that's what it reminded me of in, in this issue when the person kind of showed, showed up and asserted his authority. Like, what are you fools doing? That's my story. <laughs> they deserved it. Look, man, I mean, he was, you, you, as a wedding DJ, you only have so many jobs. And if the bride yeah. and the groom tell you, yeah. do not play this song, it's offensive, or we don't want the chicken dance. You you yeah. listen to them. They're paying yeah. paying his salary. Yeah. He could be cursing your wedding. You don't right? want that to happen. You don't know exactly. what kind of bad Italian juju is gonna get summoned <laughs> up with that choice. <laughs> All right. Now my question for you, Peter, okay. is as follows. So have you been ever have you ever been reading a comic, going page to page, and you see a location or a venue and just recognize it instantly from somewhere you've been or that you've seen before? Well, I bet that happens to Tyler a lot more because everything's in New York. <laughs> exactly. But I, but I do love when things are in Philly. I mean, there's not I've maybe seen Wellington in a comic like one time. Uh and but with Philly, it's usually the skyline. There's some like iconic buildings because it's not as crowded as the New York skyline. And I usually can see like my building where my office was in the window. But this week in Cable, there is a literal intersection that I was like, I have been there. I know it. And I had a couple of hunches. I was like on Google Street View. I went to my Facebook and asked all my Philly friends. And we have it down to two possible intersections, both of which are like right across from places that I've worked. So it's probably why I saw it. And I just had like <laughs> major deja vu. But I think it's fun. You know, you, there's this question when artists refer, refer to like a certain place, like should they try to give you an actual factual intersection in that city mm -hmm. or should they just take the style of architecture in that city and kind of make up their own realistic but improbable place? I think there's something to be said for both of them. In New York books, of course, Marvel yeah. just makes up a bunch of New York. Like, <laughs> it's not yeah. usually a specific street. But in exactly. this case, in Philadelphia, it was a very specific well, I mean, apart from like Times Square or Central Park. Right, which there's is certain like, uh, iconic yeah. locations that they do. Brooklyn Bridge, like, you know, there's yeah. there's certain things. Exactly. Yeah. Harry, do you, right. do you see a lot of familiar sites for you? A lot of recognizable Florida locations in your garden? <laughs> yeah, uh, Miami, uh, the Florida Keys, and then that is about as far as... Oh, Disney World. Disney World, you'll see every once in a while in a book. But uh, 
beyond that, we're pretty flat. There's not a ton of like recognizable topography besides uh, swamp, which you know <laughs> is always something. So yeah, it's not you know, like, you're yeah, like that's I... my street. Like that's not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm waiting for Palm Beach to be lovingly detailed in the comic, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. Mm. So. All right. Well, let us dig into this week's two issues of X. X-Force 16, let's just start with our lightning round go-around. What is your initial from-the-gut reaction to this book, Tyler? Um, well, I mean, no surprise here. I love the art in this book. And, I mean, this issue, Kasara continues to deliver. And um, most of the characters, you know, I mean, um, are on point. Um, sorry, I just switched to, like, the writing. <laughs> most of the characters, you know, um, characterizations are on point except for one shot furry one I think yeah. that was so bad. so bad you know and that is the main complaint from me which is kind of disappointing because this used to be my favorite title Harry yeah so I I thought this was something of a rebound um, I don't know if last issue was just particularly weak or this is kind of quietly solid but there's a focus to this issue there's a lot of momentum the arts is just ridiculous I think like three times I just yelled like geez like in my apartment to no one in particular because I was just so into how it looked but like Tyler said, I think I've fully become converted onto Tyler's side here. Uh, there is one particular bit of characterization where just every time we get to it, every time there's a line, it just completely takes me out of the book. And then I try to get back into it and then it takes me out again. And it's just the cycle of like Lucy pulling the football away from me, like where I'm trying to love this book. I want to love it, you know, and then there's some nonsense, but I'm sure we'll get into it. Well, I won't repeat that point at length, but I completely agree. I think this book really was kind of working for me from a writerly standpoint until those moments. So I think we have quorum on that one, more than quorum, yeah. everybody, full, everybody in consensus. <laughs> and uh, I think the art has been amazing. I guess I, I have the same question I had last week or last time mm. we talked about this, which is what is X-Force? And now my question is less within the story, what is X-Force to Krakoa and more for Benjamin Percy and the ex-editorial team. What are you doing here? Like, what is this? Because this does not feel like an X-Force comic to me. Not like if X-Force has to be a certain thing, but it doesn't even feel like it's a piece with the rest of the comic that's come before here at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it. It was beautiful, but I just really don't understand why this is being published right now. Maybe we can figure it out and get to the bottom of that story. But yeah, this went from being one of my top books to scraping the bottom of the barrel. So um, we have pretty much three, three and a half distinct scenes here, which we can kind of handle each of them and talk about them as they come. Mm -hmm. So the first scene is actually split into a couple parts, is Beast and Cecilia Rise in the Healing Gardens. Clearly, the conflict that last ended the last issue of the big invasion of the beach has mostly been over. We see Domino and Black Tom batting a little bit of cleanup, but Beast and Cecilia Rise already have a body to dissect, and they're starting to speculate on what exactly is wrong with this body, what caused it to storm the beach. Uh, and Rise has some very pointed commentary for Beast, which is not <laughs> dissimilar from the kind of commentary we make here on this program. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Tyler, which was, think of all that. I mean, before we get into it, like, how cool is that um, white shot of, you know, the Healing Garden? Because we have, we have always seen the Healing Garden more of a meet to close up shot. But this, like, overview of it with, like, lily pets, top stuff like going up into the the sky it looks it looks almost as if the whole thing is underwater yeah so i mean i i thought that was like really awesome i think it's stunning it's such a good opening where you just have this otherworldly kind of beautiful colorful thing where just like oh my gosh like this is some of the best art in superhero comics right now you just get locked in but i i like that it was uh beast getting called out on his crap mm -hmm. because it, fe it feels like now percy kind of no it's it's everyone's kind of more on the same page that yeah. he's just beast is not doing the right thing and everyone's kind of sick of his crap again so like it, it felt good that like i was in sync with where the writer was going with yeah. it. Uh, that mean, was cool. Everyone is onto him, right? Jean was onto him. And because Jean is onto him, Wolverine is onto him. And then 
uh, you have Sage, he's onto him too, because, you know, he was being really, really <laughs> obnoxious and condescending to her. He's like, oh, you know, I have this thing, you know, take care of your concussion, <laughs> do your work. <laughs> and then now Cecilia Rice is like, um, don't you, don't you start thinking about this. Let's figure <laughs> out what this is first. <laughs> she just and, sees them she's like stop it yeah. now before we go somewhere with this yeah it's like no don't you dare <laughs> and i thought it was pretty fun uh funny because you know you know like peter said i think many 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 episodes ago he's like beast is this high intelligence low wisdom character which is exactly what he is right here so when well, i think our reaction to it is that we want to laugh with it. I think it's crossed to a point where it's not satisfying to see Beast just be having these plots kind of bubbling under and nobody calling him on it. That's mm-hmm. when readers get frustrated. I don't think readers necessarily even get that frustrated to see a character repeating past behavior. It's when other characters treat it like it's brand new that I yeah. think that those of us who've been with the title for a while start to lose that suspension of disbelief. So we're not le- we're not saying don't let Beast be Beast. We're saying let Beast be Beast and have other people react to it so we don't have to read the same story people reacting to it later and i think that to me is you know thinking about me my psychology of a reader is why the scene is so satisfying to me because she calls him on it in exactly the way we would and she also says like not with in so many words you're being short-sighted by wondering about the applications of this discovery that you're not even resolving the root cause of the risk to us right now and it ends with her saying get x-force out there stat like we said last episode what is X-Force if not Beast, right? Like Beast is X-Force really. And so Mm -hmm. she's like, you don't have time to play these games. You have to, you have a responsibility. And he is like, you know, begrudgingly. And I think that's why it works so well. You know, it's not us complaining about it. That's for sure. Yeah, it's just fun. So, so I'm, I'm a little bit curious as to what this is, because obviously this is being framed as Krakoa, basically ex, um, expelling his own tumor out into the sea. Something that, you know, Krakoa um, is doing. Except Krakoa doesn't know he's doing it. Because all questions to Krakoa is that, you know, I don't have it. I never had it, you know. So, so this is a strange thing. Well, kind of strange. But not super strange because I think all the way back in House of X issue one, um, there is this no place flower, right? And it's non natural, mm-hmm. um, occur, uh, not non naturally occurring, and you know, it's, it is where Moira is residing right now, and you know, the very last sentence of that data page for this no place is that it is a Krakoan tumor. So I'm not sure if it is related to that. You know, I I wonder if that'll be the case. Part of me thinks that this really is this kind of threat. This tumor is really just kind of the um, it's just a thematic mirroring to like just the the moral rot of Beast and the team. It really is just a a a manifestation of Krakoa that's become rotten and and dangerous and what have you. And if that's where this book is going, just kind of making a statement about how the team's what the team's been up to, that's interesting. But like I don't I don't know if there's like a lot of connections to the the larger story ecosystem they've been developing. Well, I think, it's, I think it's interesting because we have different people referring to it in very different ways, right? I think it's Rise who says, or maybe it's Beast who says it's parasitic. On the beast, Domino says it's an infection. We've seen it referred to as a cancer, which obviously ties into that no place stuff and and would be a chance for it to finally come up in the broader story because it really hasn't. And X-Force in a way has been a lot about the ramification of the various flowers. So Mm. would it be that, would it kind of make sense in this way that I'm saying, does this even make sense if that's where the plot was going? Yeah, I think I would kind of be like, oh, that's why we're investigating this because it's part of X-Force kind of exploring what grows on Krakoa. But I actually kind of like the ambiguity of what it is. Nobody knows for sure. And especially once we go to find it underwater, it's mm. it's not like it's any one identifiable thing. You know, it's not like, oh, Krakoa just hocked a loogie into the water. That's it. Because there's clearly some other mysterious things going on with that as well. No, Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the other thing to sort of like recognize is that Moira's no place is inert. It's not attacking anything. Whereas this particular one is actually, um, you know, 
um, taking over some other biological um, entities and then using them to attack or to protect itself somehow. So well, it brings up a good point. You know, with Mora's no place, the whole point is like it, it's it's a no place. It's not yeah. anywhere accessible other than with a gate that takes you into it. But if that itself is cancerous, like what it's some it's somewhere. You know, like even Mm -hmm. if it's in limbo or whatever, there's no nowhere. And it kind of like raises the question of where is this somewhere? Even if it's in this kind of, um, you know, negative zone, bag of holding, this space is not real. She's somewhere. And and what does that mean for wherever that is? You know, is Krakoa slowly poisoning whatever place where Mora is located right now? And does this somehow connect to that? So I think that's all really interesting. And potentially um, it's time for some of these plots to begin to blossom. Yeah, I mean, we have seen... Krakoa being aggressive before because um, <clears throat> remember that scene in New Mutants in Space where they yeah. planted a gate in Star Jammers garden and it sort of disrupted all the plants in the garden because Krakoa, the flower was being super aggressive and trying to take over the entire space. So, I mean, there is some sort of like continuity in terms of that theme here, I think. Hmm. That is interesting that, yeah, this island for all of its beauty and splendor and idea of sanctuary does have this kind of aggression and uh, possible kind of toxicity inside it, which, you know, I think that ambiguity of, you know, is there something sinister, something going on in Krakoa? I I would like to see that play out uh, maybe soon. That would be great. Well, speaking of toxicity on Krakoa, let's get to some male toxicity on Krakoa, which is our bridge (laughs) to this next scene of Forge and Wolverine just being assholes yeah uh, so <laughs> i just such dorks it's, i i have so many problems with this but let's actually start with the plot problem and then just ease our way down the road um to the to the other ones which is choir is alive i was sure yeah. that right before x of swords he had been ripped in half or dead or he was with the russians Stat. and then we got all Stat. been out of shape when he was in x of swords but here he yeah. is am i just confused tyler you usually bring the receipts what no. is going on here I, I think i think it's meant to be a surprise so we don't know what happened and my question is really this right Firstly, how does Phoebe know he died? Because from the conversation, it's like, you know, I want you to remember this kiss. Suggest that Phoebe knew he died and got resurrected without the memory of them, you know, kissing and doing the thing in the bushes before. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is that, like, did the false protocol override even x-factors mandates to ensure that they resurrect only when the death can be verified physically because it is clear that the body is with the russians with um you know colossus brother so i don't know i mean it's not very clear but given you know just looking a bit ahead given that next issue i think is a is a quinton uh choir uh centric issue we might get our answer then but um i i thought that was like really interesting and and the fact that no one actually men talk about it like you know they just they just assume that oh hey this kid is alive again maybe because he died so many times before (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're just so used to it they're yeah. like bad an eye anymore like oh quentin's back yeah. i don't know i mean this is it's disorienting it's like a, a running theme in these these percy books is that like i can't tell if this is an intentional choice or if this is a story mistake or yeah. or xyz and i i'm not sure where to put it uh so i just guess we have to wait and see but that yeah. that's really not satisfying you know yeah and it's you know i think there's a line for fans between Everything must be explained, which some fans think everything is to be explained constantly. And then the line between just make sure that the book acknowledges where we're coming from. And I'm not somebody who needs everything explained right away. You know, I grew up with Claremont. And I do think that some fans today, like, can't deal with a cliffhanger. Like, I I definitely think there's people here that if there's a cliffhanger about somebody's status and the next issue picks up without that resolved, they just, like, lose their minds. Like, that would have been us in X of Swords being like, you can't even do X of Swords right now because Quentin just died. Like, that's that's real. That's not, yeah. That's the way that you feel, and I can't fault you for feeling that way. But, like, comics, you know, the way comics used to work was that you had some time to develop some of these plots before everything was written for trade. 
I think this is distinct though, because we're yeah. like, you, you're not even having anybody on the page fully tell us that they're sure that he died, except for that kind of like little wink about remember the kiss this time. So we're yeah. just confused. And I think there's a difference yeah. between not being able to have a cliffhanger uh, uh, because the anticipation is killing you and just being confused. And I would agree that Percy now has had the, some of the most issues of all of the writers on this line. And he seems to lean pretty hard into confusion, uh, which to me represents writing problems and editorial problems with getting these books together and printed. Yeah, this doesn't feel like uh, intentional ambiguity or kind of like an understated approach to telling a story. It just feels like I don't know what's happening, like like beat to beat to beat. And like, I feel it is I'm not sure if the writer is aware and is trying to say things in the moment, which or maybe I'm just incredibly illiterate, but uh, hopefully it's I don't know, man, when all three of us kind of come away noticing yeah. the same things, I mean, we, we could all be illiterate. We could all be wrong. So, <laughs> you know, free isn't here to get us in line. It's entirely possible <laughs> that all three of us are wrong. But we are all three coming to a similar decision, which brings us to the other thing. This Wolverine is just wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. Every line that he says, like the whole f calling Forge a desk jockey, yeah. And like, it just doesn't read to me at all. I think the thing is that there's been like a little bit of hokey nudge, nudge comp competitive yeah. commentary between these team members in the earlier missions when it was a little bit more madcap, especially like in the first arc. I think there was a lot of really funny moments like when mm. Wolverine gets torn in half and Forge is carrying around half of him. And like, <laughs> it, was, it was funny <laughs> and it was brutal and funny. And it feels like Percy is like trying to continue that vibe, but it's like the, but the jokes are just not there. Yeah. And and it's not and it's not mean funny, it's just mean. And so it's just stopped feeling like any of these characters. It doesn't feel like Forge or Wolverine. And I no. just felt like Quentin was the only real character in this scene. It just it was a really strange moment. Even when they get under the water and Quentin is like dealing with it, and then Wolverine are like, the men are here. I'm like, that's not a thing <laughs> that Wolverine says. It's not. I the, mean, this... no, especially not when there is a relationship between Wolverine and Forge and Wolverine and Quentin Quill. Right. right? So right. they have an established relationship. And come on, Forge went to space with Wolverine to rescue Xavier. <laughs> like, remember that? They just have a lot of history, especially Wolverine they and have. Choir, when Choir was kind of like yes. reimagined in Wolverine and the X-Men. It just doesn't... Yeah. It just doesn't feel right. Like, I feel the, sometimes I read it. I'm sorry, Harry. Go ahead. I, I'm ranting. No, no, just sorry. The entire ending of Wolverine and the X-Men, the final issue, a lot of that is, is based around Wolverine and Quentin Quire, like, not establishing some kind of respect, but reaching a more warm kind of point with the two of them for what they are. And in this, they're just, Wolverine's just kind of a dick. Sorry to swear, but, like, it just doesn't read right at all. It, it feels like... Like, I think the most, when this book's at its best, it is madcap and it's yeah. fun and it's, yeah. it's forged like carrying it when around it's half just, Things are happening so fast. People are getting blown up so fast. The problems are cascading out so fast that they yeah. can't help but kind of be glib and with each other. That's That, to me, is what I'm saying. What is X-Force? I thought that's what X-Force <laughs> was now. Yeah. It's like, you've got Forge, like, hey, check out this awesome invention. This is going to be fun, undersea adventure. And then Wolverine shows up, and it just sounds like a parody of Wolverine. Like, it sounds like a kind of hollow, dark, edgy kind of yeah. thing that, like, it, it, it feels like that Wolverine book, like, just butting its head into this book and just trying to mess with the tone. Yeah. It doesn't work. Even, I, the, I, even the make a quick lover boy, like, no, yeah. Wolverine would not say that. <laughs> no, that's the thing. But... I mean, he, they wouldn't say that, but if if we just rely on the art, the page with Forge and Logan oh, yeah. smiling at Quill, and he says, what? That would, be, that was that great. would have been perfect. If Wolverine had been such a dick in the yeah. previous panel. If they have not said anything, that would have been perfect. And then, and I, but I did laugh at the line where Wolverine was like, oh, I'm too damn heavy. That's why I'm sticking yeah, faster. Oh. <laughs> That's a great page. And just like visually, it's so fun watching them slowly sync with like the, the long panels yeah. here. That's a fun, fun page. Like the art's incredible and there's some good beats. It's not like this is all bad. It's yeah. just, it's just the, it just, the vibe feels wrong when you just keep having these odd characterizations. Because and the I, voice is I, wrong, right? The voice yeah. of these established characters and their relationships is really off. Like, you I, know, it's rubbing asked the wrong way it's not the story i mean i kind of enjoy the story it's not the art is you know it's not even the pacing issue it's just the voice that is wrong yeah and it's, it's the thing that occurs to me is 
you could take any one of these things in isolation and we can just apply the hypertime approach, right? So hypertime yeah. is DC's way of saying things are only in continuity when it's convenient for them to be in continuity. So to, you know, to Harry's specific objection about Wolverine and Choir, you could just say, well, Percy has decided that he's not really going to follow up on the fact that they're buds now. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, right? But it's because every one of these lines and every one of these interactions is feeling off that it's not... I, I'm really generous in my ability to explain with hypertime. I don't like to be the one who says, but in X-Men, Uncanny X-Men 275, Wolverine and Forge said, I'm with you, brother, so they can never fight again. Like, I, that's not me. <laughs> no. But I think when you when there's just a whole sequence of word balloons, I get this feeling sometimes in issues like this where I almost, like, put my thumb over the screen and I, like, re-script each balloon yeah. as I go. And I was like, <laughs> the art makes sense. The overall plot makes sense. It's just these words need to be a little bit different. That's, yeah. you know, it's like a polish pass. I, like, correct. you know, and that's what this needed. It needed a polished past from anybody who understood Wolverine because I'm starting I, to think Percy does not. And yeah, did you I, choose Uncanny X Men 275 on purpose to make yes, an illustration? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm more generous with like writers kind of taking their own voices to characters and what have you. I like it when they can kind of stretch the legs a bit, but like. This Wolverine is just, he just really likes killing stuff. And he talks about it in super hokey, like stilted ways. And like, not to get to the end, but like the way he looks at this otherworldly incredible being and it's just like i want to kill it Let's like kill it, it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. like, like what are we doing here like i don't i don't no, i don't understand he it. doesn't he 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 goes hunting but does not kill the deal yeah like i <laughs> like, i don't know i just it i don't feel thing. like he's like a happy-go-lucky kill guy and he just I sees know. this like it's ancient so weird, creature but I know. and now i ain't gonna be able to sleep right until I kill it dead. And I'm like, what are you, what's going on, buddy? Do you need help? Do we, <laughs> do we need to call somebody? But then, so speaking I, on the positive side, first of all, the yeah. art, I agree with you both. The art, basically from when they get to this underwater thing straight through the end, every panel's amazing. I love when the, the cuckoo walks up and she's like got her hands folded and she's making a request to forge and then the descent yeah. to the depth. I mean, there's so many great panels here. Kasara turns in nothing but great pages. The coloring I mean, is the... amazing. The pink glow on everybody under the sea is quite yes. power yep. lights up. That's so good. All amazing. Uh, it, the, this the, art's, the, and this is better than last issue, the, the art to be clear. I think he's really mm. stepped it up with this issue compared to last. Well, I think last I think issue, he the script better. let him down a little. Yeah. And he was tied. He had just come off of X of Swords. Like, yeah, there were still exactly. good pages. It just didn't feel yeah. like as consistent as this one, which feels really consistent. No, Rock but he, solid, does, yeah. he does all these, like, um, uh, ugly creatures very well. You know, You know what I mean? Like, and this yeah. suits him so much. And, you know, that splash page of, like, Wolverine and the eye, you know, and the light it's coming. Beautiful. That one was so fun and so cool. And I, I don't know. I mean, this this sounds, sometimes the whole thing, the whole plot about them in the liquid going down deep sea sounds a lot like um, Abyss. <laughs> yeah. It's very Abyss. Yeah. yeah. It is very Abyss, right? <laughs> it's a good movie. I mean, so, yeah. I... Well, before we, we get to the, the last development here, I just want to highlight a specific piece of character work that I think was great, which mm -hmm. is when Quentin's descending and he gives that monologue, which one of you has mentioned a little bit already. You know, mm -hmm. there's something about Krakoa that's always bothered me. We trust it to do what it's supposed to do, just like we trust our hearts to beat and our lungs to breathe. A great nod to Forge made it so their lungs will just breathe, right? Which is also Krakoan yeah. technology. But everybody's got something rotten inside them. And it's like of all the characters to give that monologue, I love that it's Quentin. You know, Quentin who used to be terrible. Quentin who, you know, had the Phoenix Force and gave it up to save somebody. Qu like Quentin mm -hmm. knows from having a rotten piece of you inside that you can't reconcile. That's almost his whole power. He's not, he's not a bad boy because he's cool. He's not a bad boy because he's evil. He's a bad boy because he's got this little piece of hatred inside of him that sometimes he doesn't know how to express or ask for help about. And it just felt yeah. like the right character to get that. So I'm not saying that Percy's like incapable of writing good comics. We had that great beast thing at the beginning. And I think this Quentin material is fantastic. But he yeah. just has, somebody's got to shake some sense into him when it comes to Wolverine. <laughs> like, I, don't let him write him Wolverine off. anymore. Get as, him off as, the team. As, as, just... someone, as someone who who really wants to write Wolverine, I don't know, like Larry Hammer back. Right, right, Wolverine or something, yeah. you know. There's so much fun madcap stuff in this book. The yeah. kind of like nation play and the factional like CA fighting and all that like subterfuge. That's really fun. It's yeah. just like this. But like when it gets to like the, oh, we're the hardcore team that kills people. And he uses Wolverine to be that person on that team to like 
vocalize those things. It just comes off so shallow and lesser compared to everything else in this book. Yeah. Well, to I mean, be fair, Nate, it's Forge Nate, who said the men are here now that I'm down yeah. to that page, but it's still, <laughs> they're both complicit in that little bit yeah. of men. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Namor's appearance was kind of fun. <sighs> yes, oh, it right. was. Yes. Let's talk about yes, the it. final portion of this. <laughs> Namor looking as uh, sexy as he's supposed to look. And he just comes in here and he's like, you, y'all are playing the wrong song right now. This yeah. is not how this is supposed to go. You're in my domain. And it really is an infection. And you've already infect infected the surface world. And that's not going to yeah. go this way here. It's a wonderful continuation of the theme of Namor the few other times we've seen him, all the way stretching back to Hawksbox, where he's like, this is a really nice idea, Xavier, but I don't need to be involved. <laughs> yeah. He's and Percy writes him really well. He's like the right level of arrogant and kind of just, you know, shitty. Like he's he's a bit more like informal, like he not to keep starting, but he says, like, you know, now piss off mutants, which is like kind of but it works. It works for this it character. I thought it was even though I yeah. wouldn't normally see him say that. It almost feels like he was taking on like a, an, an affectation. He was like being yeah. a sailor, like piss off, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and that worked. I stopped in that moment and I said, would Namor say that? And I was like, yeah, I actually think I can. I can see Namor saying that. It was yeah. good. It was a really cool beat with him. And it also looks incredible. Like the lightning trident, just like lighting up the ocean. Like it just is playing with the colors in that way. There's just so much creativity in this space. You know, I just, I can't get enough of this art. And also, yeah, the art, there's this one moment when it goes really tight on his face and like the blackness of his eyes that mm. reminds me of some of my very favorite artists right now, like Nick Robles and uh, Bill Quist mm. Heavily, just like people who do really good face acting that's not the normal comic book face, you know? And, uh, and that's, yeah, Kassara, I mean, we, we, we go on and on every episode, but also the text in those two panels is really interesting because Namor brings up the idea of, is Xavier using Krakoa or is Krakoa using Xavier? And... And so would I use this thing in the ocean or would it use me? And that's a really great question because a lot of the genesis for a lot of this idea, if we think back to Powers of X, comes from like when Xavier brought Doug to Krakoa and he was misunderstanding Krakoa and Doug was like, "Not that's nice old man, but yeah. you don't speak the language. <laughs> but like, do we trust Krakoa? Like after the whole X of Swords and everything and this cancerous mm. thing, I think we've had a couple different characters bring up here. Like, can we fully trust Krakoa, do you think that's a thing? I mean, in some ways, it's not so much that Krakoa is a parasite. The relationship, I think, is not parasitic in nature. Well, it's symbiotic. It's more symbiotic. Yeah. yeah. Symbiotic. Not with a symbiote, mind you. No. <laughs> not talking about that. <laughs> Just symbiotic. Yeah, because both parties are, you know, um, are benefiting from the relationship, yeah. right? Because Krakoa do need mutant energy to survive. And, you know, he's drawing a little bit from all the mutants who are living on him right now to to survive, to grow. Yeah, it's his, it's and, his ideal situation, right? Yeah. Like, he wants a bunch of mutants hanging out. Yeah. And I, I like... think we have mentioned it, like, many, many times before, like, all the mutants, um, you know, have different agendas and have different uh, reasons to want to be in Krakoa. You know, the villains are there because that's what they want all the, you know, the entire time sinister is there because hey all the mutants are here i have <laughs> i have everything to play with you know yeah so 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 i i think it's not parasitic in nature in in nature but um i mean you know but i think this issue is asking that question you know that you know is there something more to it is there something more um that is you know is there a dark side to this and uh yeah, I know eventually we're going to have to, the books are going to have to answer that question as we get deeper into this whole, you know, saga. But like, I like the ambiguity right now of not knowing entirely where this island and it's kind of like nature lands. Like, it does seem like a great place. It does seem, you know, paradise. And, you know, it is, X-Men readers are used to things going badly. But like, I like that it's not, you're not quite sure yet. And I, I kind of want to stay there. I like that this book's asking questions. And I like that, like, it's on the minds of some of the mutants. But like, I want to kind of stay in this, like, this in-between zone uh, for as long as we can. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that brings us to our outro round here. Is there anything else about this issue, writing, art, plot, characters that we still need to bring to light before we shut this down? 
I didn't expect to get so heated about this issue. But, <laughs> but no, it's like, it's got so much annoying stuff and it's got so many brilliant moments and the art's incredible. And I feel like it's like the, 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 the fundamentals are sometimes there then sometimes I don't know what's going on. I don't feel like it's my fault. And it's just, it's such an odd book. I really, I'm, I don't know. I mean, the reason why I think we react so passionately passionately to, to, to this is because we like it so much and we see how much uh, how good it can be you know in the past and, and 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 we get a little bit annoyed when this little bit of things that shouldn't happen happens so yeah I think that's that's, exactly a, that's a reason why that happens yeah I think if anything a lot of the times right after I read x-force the past few issues I'm really much more frustrated with it than when we talk together which is why X-Men comics are better when they're read together. I think I was so focused on the couple of moments that just like really pulled at me here that I had kind of forgotten how well I think he did with Beast, with Choir, with Namor. There's there's a lot of good moments in this book. And I think mm -hmm. personally, sometimes the super fan of me cannot let go one egregious mistake when there's a <laughs> lot of good things that make up for it. Yeah. So I might've come out of this issue being like, ah, oh, it was average. And I think I'm leaving this conversation saying, actually it was really good except yeah. for this one thing. Exactly. Uh, which hopefully is, is going to go here over time. Yeah. See, that's so the, I'm, I'm like- You went the opposite no, direction. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I read the book and I was like, this is pretty solid. And then we're talking and I'm like, and this sucked and I'm not into this. And how do you mess up Wolverine like this? You know, I just, I got to go like take a walk after this. We'll be good. I don't know, you know. Yeah, all right. But we still, we still are tuned in for more and, and we don't yeah. hate Percy. We just have this one thing that we wish Percy could somehow explain a little yeah. bit more. Now, as we tackle cable number seven, I just want to get everybody's lightning round of first impressions, and then we will dig more deeply into the plot, starting with Tyler. Um, I enjoyed it. And I mean, cable as a title um, is usually pretty um, lighthearted. And um, it's, the storytelling is very decompressed. So you don't have a lot of things happening in one issue. Um, and, you know, that gives um, Dugan room to deal with, like, smaller stories and more personal moments and um, about family, whether it is blood relationships or otherwise, because, you know, Cable has a lot of different families that he forms over the years, um, which, you know, this young Cable may not have um, experienced yet. Um, and... I can't remember a time when we get so many Noto issues in such a short span of time. <laughs> <laughs> the art here, though, is incredible compared to his most recent works on X-Men. Um, I mean, we can delve into it uh, a little bit later, but, you know, I really love it. So, I historically don't really care about Cable. Uh, and when they made him a youngster, I didn't care about that doubly so. Uh, but I, and I've been reading the book and it's been pretty good. And I'm like three pages into this book and I'm reading and I'm like, oh my God, like, is this book incredible? Like it just all clicked so well. And I did not see it coming where I, I think this issue is amazing. I think as, as Tyler just said, the art is such a bounce back from that, uh, unfortunate Jonathan Hickman X-Men issue that we just read. I think that the story is just really fun and, and small scale, but like super interesting with this uh, ex-cult that's stealing babies and also just the character of young Cable, I think kind of clicked for me here where there was a, like a moment where I was like, I would like to read him in other books. I didn't think I'd ever say that. Like it just, it totally worked for me in, in every single way. And I really hope that they can keep this going. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Harry and briefly disagree with Tyler. I, I co-sign everything Harry just said. Like, it, Cable works suddenly. I, this was a page turner. I loved it. I mean, I don't have a single negative thing to say. I don't think about this whole issue. Not just because Rachel Summers was in it either, which is an easy way to my heart, but it was just good. But the thing I'm Wait, and Jean with, is in it too, so Jean, but she's double. chopping vegetables, so it's, it could go either way. But, um, but, but here's the thing that I'll slightly disagree with Tyler. I did not think this was decompressed at all. When I went back to write notes on this, I was like, um, 
Dugan got through so many scenes and we're going to talk about them. So I don't want to enumerate them all here, but mm -hmm. like this book covered a lot of ground. And I think that's what's different to me about the before X of Swords. It felt like before X of Swords, he knew he had a certain amount of plot and a certain amount of issues and he had to somehow snap to fit. You know, it was like when yeah. you're once someone, some older person in your life, like stretches a photo out, but then prints it and you're like, my face does not look like that. <laughs> uh, that's what that felt like. But this felt like a perfect picture of Cable's face and what Cable the book should be. And I would recommend it to anybody. I think it's one of the best issues of all of, of Doc's Rocks, Hawks, Pox, Knox, Fox, whatever it's called. <laughs> rocks. Yeah. <laughs> right now, yeah. Yeah. So, look, we start out with a really brief scene, which I think it's just worth mentioning, which is a funeral for Gorgon, which kind of places this book a little bit earlier than some of the other yeah. post-X of Swords books we've read because some of the other X of Swords books we've read have already mentioned Gorgon not coming back quite right, but here yes. we're like looking at his crossed swords on a beach and um, and you have to remember this book was supposed to be out a few weeks ago and got held mm. briefly. So yeah. I think we can safely say that this is, it's much earlier, it's definitely before King and Black. Uh, yeah. it's before yeah. Sword, because he's, he's like the security guy in Sword now. Yeah. So, yeah. Any other thoughts on this funeral for Gorgon just before we dig into the meat of this issue? Um, before we do that, um, I kind of like that the cover is an homage to the Cable and Hope cover by um, Olivetti oh, from the is. Cable number oh, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, it totally so is. I thought I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, I mean, obviously he's not carrying a, a red hair girl. But the pose but is... Yeah, the pose yeah. is very similar. So, so I, I like it. I really like that this book is kind of at least still recognizing what happened with Gorgon and X of Swords, because I think it kind of uh, centers or places Cable's character in an interesting place where he saw... Yes. He saw Speak how the best it. way... Yeah, he sees the best way that a mutant can go out. He sees him die like the, the biggest, you know, the most important death, you know, kind of stands and falls as a mutant with a capital M. And this is a character who was a, you know, a kid or a teenager who was incredibly unsure of himself. He did not do well in X of Swords. He's not in a place where he knows what to do next. And it's kind of just like a, just, it's not like rocket science, but it's just, it's a nice way to show like his un unsureties about things and where he wants to go from here. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that between the Gorgon scene and then later when he says, I learned in Otherworld what happens when a woman with a sword is charging <laughs> towards you, you have the sense yeah. that he's like come to some decisions about himself as a result of X of Swords. And I don't think that little joke would hit without this Gorgon moment too. Here's yeah. one of the captains, mm -hmm. right? Cable probably yeah. thought that he was going to be the one to survive. And Cable's like, I survived basically through a random happenstance of Doug begging Bay to not behead me if I'm remembering mm -hmm. it right, right? Yes. And here's Gorgon who had nobody to intercede for him and took down so many people that it tied up the score and he's dead and he came back from the other world not the same and even though it's only one page and it's a few panels I just think it hits like a like a sucker punch in terms of um, spring us toward the emotion of this teen character sits and how he's different than the old version and yeah. to what Harry said this is the first time where I was like maybe I'm okay with not getting the old one back yeah. Like, maybe I like that we can do this with Cable, mm -hmm. which was shocking to me. So that's <laughs> why, even though this is one page, I just think it bears discussion because I, I think it just finally sold Team Cable to me two years yeah. after the fact. Th that's exactly what it is. You're finally like, oh, this is a, a realized character uh, who has got a set of goals and kind of like you, you understand where he is at a point in his life more than just being young version yeah. of old Cable. Yeah. Which well, was which Tyler, is how it was written nothing. initially, right. right? Originally, he's just like I'm this old gruff guy, but little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Tyler, you know, this opening scene ends with him saying he won't fail them, which I think is not just the babies, but X Men in general, mutants in general. Yeah. But Tyler, of course, we know Cable has some feelings about kidnapped babies, huh? Yes. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, technically, well, I mean, yeah, he was kidnapped by Apocalypse. Yeah. And then infected by the techno virus. Yeah. And then he got to be sent to the future. Which we and won't I call think, kidnapping, but it's, you know, because Cyclops is kind released of, custody, but he's still yeah. pushed away. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I mean, this brings us to one of the scenes where it's like, Rachel was like, oh, you have been avoiding me. And he's like, no, I have not. And I think the reason is because Rachel was Mother Ascani. Yes, she was part of that. That's exactly where I was hoping you were going to go. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that's the whole reason why I think um, like, like, yeah, I mean, even though they did not explain it, but that line really works because, like, Rachel 
new because this Rachel has um, presumably has the memory of 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 where she had been yeah. and watch him grow they up. They took care of all that at some point yeah. after she got sent to the time stream in Excalibur <laughs> five, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, is I, I mean I, I love that small interaction. That like really, really little bit of interaction between the two of them. And it's a little bit more I mean, I don't know. I just enjoyed it. Like it works for new readers, I think. It works for um, you know, readers like us where we go deep into the history of these two characters. Um, I do have one question, though. Um, what uh, that, that has to do with the previous scene with Gorgon's uh, funeral. Why are some of the characters there? I, I, I was, was thinking that, too. <laughs> Let's just go down the line. So we have Doug yeah. and Bay. Sure. Okay, paying their respects. Bay was yeah, the both champions. Yeah. Magic, a fellow commander. Yep. Callisto... Maybe yeah. best friend of Gorgon, as is well known. Kidding? No. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could definitely see how Callisto and Gorgon would have been mm-hmm. a friend. And then so, uh, Choir uh, and his his Phoebe? cuckoo and Phoebe. one of them. Yeah. I yeah. don't really get that one. I don't get that one. And why and is Mondo? Mondo? <laughs> I was like, did they start being friends on Krakoa? Are they in a club together? Like, where? Did, when did you guys hang out in in this world? That's this yeah. Makes it that's... Even more, even more fascinating to me though. I I lingered a long time. Yeah, I was on that wondering page. why. If one of us ever gets to interview Jerry Duggan, we just need to be like, hey man, so what's up with Mondo? <laughs> yeah, what's the Mondo thing about? <laughs> Do you think here was here's me thinking? You know how in New Mutants, Mondo keeps having like the face of Krakoa in his stomach to, to talk to people, like Quattro from mm-hmm. Total Recall. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> did, did like Krakoa come down to like pay respects? And he was like, Mondo, bring me to the beach. And Mondo said, no, don't make me. <laughs> and that's the way he's standing on the other side from Doug. Because he's like, yeah. Look at my shame. That happens. Uh, so this that's, book that's, rules. Yeah. This book, okay, so that's the, the first page, and we're that's the reason. <laughs> that's 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 my reason from now on. It's like Mondo uh, is there because yes, Krakoa wants to pay respect. Rule. Yeah, it's the quadro rule. Okay. So now, so first of all, let it just be said at the time. Well, first I had a question, Harry. All this nonsense we're talking about up here about Mother Scanny and kidnapped to the future. Are do you, do you know? You don't know any of that. Part of I honestly don't have a lot of familiarity with Rachel in particular. Uh, I just oh. don't. Um, okay. I will get on it, but okay. it did work for me totally as a new that reader. That's why I, I wanted just... to ask. Does it yeah. still well, just click? Like what? I, yeah. What I liked about it was, you know, I I I think Hickman's X Men book. I don't dislike it nearly as much as you do, Peter. But like, it is very basic in a lot of ways, and it's mostly just kind of setting up things that we've seen other writers play with. And yeah. I did not enjoy the issue at all with Cyclops and Cable and Rachel, mm. but that didn't establish that family dynamic that's been such a big part of this run, or this saga or whatever. And and I think this was the issue where Duggan took that kind of family kind of dynamic and really flesh out and made it feel more real and more and more warm and it, it it clicked for me in a way that it didn't in hickman's book so i just think on just in a more recent way this is this dynamics working for me and yeah. the lighting the lighting <sighs> in, lighting choices here is so warm it's so beautiful and nice and i mean i also like the fact that when the camera angle changes the the, the color of the sky is different because yes. you know the sun is setting, so the light of the sky is like totally different, and you see some um, front littered and back littered faces. Is I, I mean I don't know. I, yeah. I was staring at this page for a long time. <laughs> I, because if I, was I were to buy a page, I would actually buy this page. Like it's yeah. just, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's ball. It's, it's ballsy to do orange red lighting on Rachel. Like most. <laughs> artists and colorists wouldn't collaborate to do that because that's her colors anyway and it just like Mm -hmm. makes it almost like a little bit weird to how do you do more orange and red on (laughs) rachel right like you would want to put her in that normal krakoan bisexual lighting with the pink and the purple but no (laughs) like noto fully goes for it partially because he colors himself and he has the boldness to be able to like just paint it this way you know because i think he mostly does just work in color and Mm -hmm. and then 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 everything tyler said like not only all the thing about the light sources and the sunset and everything but just the sheer chutzpah of 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 going on red and 
and yellow highlights on Rachel, who is all red and yellow. Like, and the way he draws a resemblance to Jean without it exactly being Jean, which is great. And then finally, to like hopefully get us to page three and beyond, <laughs> that Rachel, historically, you know, when she first is brought on as a character by Claremont, she is mad at first about mm. Cyclops having a baby, baby with Madeline Pryor, because she's like, it's not me. It's a boy. Yeah. Jean's dead. What are you doing? I don't have a brother. <laughs> and like Claremont plays this beat for a while, but she comes to love him. And one of her big motivators at the beginning for like even being there is like, I've got to make a world for my little brother that's not going to be the world that was my world. And because Cable comes back as old Cable, you every so often get a good Cable and Rachel moment. They exist. Mm -hmm. They're there. Yeah. But it's mm -hmm. really hard to get a moment that's true to that like original Rachel who is so angry at everything and just trying to like make a better world mm -hmm. and that's what this is and it just it's so satisfying for me as somebody who's read all of x-men but now let's go to philadelphia i have to say i'm an easy mark for this issue because rachel's one of my favorite x-men and it's in philadelphia like how much more of a and it's by phil noto how much more of a custom comic book could you make for me i had to go to my social networks to determine where this street is where the gate emerges in philly because i know philly and I could see this brownstone with the little arched windows in my head. I thought, was it the Union League? Was it the Academy of New Music? And um, and my friends pointed out, it's actually right across from where my office was. It's this little <laughs> street called Juniper, just as it intersects Chestnut Street. The building on the left is like a Dunkin' Donuts. But if you look at it on Google Street View, it is unmistakably where this picture is referenced from because it has those high arches on the that go into the stonework and I just think it was funny like of course the Krokoan gate is literally across from the front door of my office building of course so just to, to get us a little further here let me just summarize they go to Philadelphia because he's back on the mutant baby case they run into these detectives and Philly cops are a piece of work as Cable says I won't disagree <laughs> And um, and we just get this wonderful sequence of Rachel detectiving, and the cops yeah. instead of being like mutant bigot cops are kind of like cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and they cool. wind up going to a different county, and they're like worried about warrants and stuff. And Rachel just keeps being a detective, which is totally consistent with X Factor. And instead yes. of being kind of like awful or racist or whatever, the, the cops kind of are just playing along with it. And I just thought it was so funny. Like I just could not <laughs> stop laughing at the way that Duncan was like moving it along to like get us to the conflict here and not just turn this into them like walking around Philadelphia arguing with each other. You know, it was it was brisk. Yeah. It, it kept the plot moving. I'm I'm but... such a mark for like cops, like cop characters are just kind of like a little haggard and tired but they're gonna keep going with it you know they're gonna figure it out and that's what this felt like they're like all right i guess we got mutants today we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do what we're gonna do and hopefully we don't get fired yeah. my, my favorite line was that you're adopted right we met your father and your sister and you're the worst one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so funny. good there's there's such like a personable just very like just no personable is the word just quality to duggan's writing and he's also really funny when he wants to be obviously he did like a good deadpool book so like oh. it's just fun to have those little jokes like that oh yeah and the Wait, other thing are that you I sure think... that sorry i just do a little a short digression like are you sure duggan's deadpool is funny I yeah it's it really yes, sad dude, yeah it is yeah, it's it both sad and funny it's both that's well, why it's yeah. good. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, it's so heartbreaking, did, though. So I did not remember wrongly. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. That's the thing. Oh, yes. it's super tragic. But the, yeah. that first chunk of it that he does with Posen is the, is the best yeah. Deadpool book ever like he's, written. Yeah. He's got good jokes. That's what Duggan's good at, you know? Mm -hmm. And the, but here's the thing, this is, a, we just came off of kind of criticizing a little bit Marauders for being like, did it have enough substance? But like, here's a book that was really funny also by Duggan that has, a, feels like a ton of substance, right? Yeah. I love also two Tyler's point that they were on Krakoa either at sunrise or sunset, but the Krakoa is a long way from Philadelphia. Yeah. But then we see the progression of time here where they wind up in Bucks County at night, which means they've been with these detectives for like a really long time. And you can <laughs> feel it in their body language that they're like, when he's like, you two don't do nothing. Oh, crap. And their shoulders are kind of, and they have their jackets on. And it just is like, again, smart, smart illustration by Noto. I'm sure Duggan maybe said now it's nighttime, but like Noto like took us on this, this timeline journey so that you can actually realize how long the day has been for mm. Cable and Rachel as they're breaking into this Bucks County mini mansion in the in the suburbs of Philadelphia. Yeah. Well, not so much Rachel. It's like Cable is just like I'm just going to run towards the door, <laughs> break it down, and start hurting people. 
(laughs) (laughs) Just charges right through. I know. Uh, And I think think the action scenes in this book are really good for for Phil Noto. I think they're very clean. They've got a nice sense of motion. You know, he can feel static. You know, there's no getting around that. Yeah, that's the one criticism he tends to get is that he tends to feel static. But I think he's... I think he's improved. I think there are scenes in this that are really good. The, the one scene, I, uh, Paige, I love to push ahead of it is when it's when he has the, they have the kids as the hostages and you just have the first huge panel for them shooting and then just them getting shot and then drops and the kids are still there. But it, it feels like there's like a, a sense of motion to all three panels, which is, you know, really good. Well, and the other thing in that whole sequence that just killed me was that Cable's like doing this heart, like, I knocked them all down. There's a woman with a sword. He's like giving all these great lines. And Rachel is basically just ogling the babies through the window and all of her responses. (laughs) And it's so, it's like she does, I mean, she does say like, you know, some things, but he's like, I'll be right up. And she goes, oh my God, I'm in their head. They're so cute. <laughs> that's, that's, the the, best. that's the same voice I hear when she speaks to Amazing Baby. Yes. Right. <laughs> like Rachel, we've come to this point in Rachel's life where like we, she's like not such a hard ass that she doesn't yeah. think things are cute, you know? And it's yeah. again, mm-hmm. consistent across two books with two different authors and she's being written consistently. It's all masculine. Well, and also I think, I mean, it's not easy. It's, I mean, it's not difficult to get Rachel's wrong. But her hair, her hair has been kept short in all her appearances, like in X Men, over here in X Factor. So I, I mean, I appreciate that because yeah. you know, in all three books appearance, she's wearing different costume, or I mean, she's not even wearing a costume here. She's just wearing a jacket, you know, um, pretty casually. And um, I love yeah, it though. But, like I, you mm-hmm. know, no, I do. Nickman said mutants are going to be digging in their closets. Like bring me the look. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So here's my big question. Turns out the person behind this, which we see in a wonderful monochrome pink mm. major page, slash page, is Strife. <laughs> so let me back there. up, let me back up one so, step though. Yeah. How, how are you worshiping Strife and you're not looking at cable and thinking like does this not look like that guy that we're worshiping? <laughs> they're like, he's a fake mutant. And so then when Stripe yeah. was there, I'm like, hold on a second. They're worshiping Stripe. Uh, well, he knows. He's the only one that knows. That's the thing. The, well, oh, the rest just the does one not. guy. Okay, that's yeah, fair. So he's the only one that knows. But like, are we going full on 90s X-Men now? We have Omega Red. We have Maverick. We have Strife. Like, you know, are we going to get the Game Master? Are we going to get Trevor Fitzroy hey, back? we've already got Shinobi Shaw. Where's yeah. the Blaze? Let's go, man. Yeah. Start <laughs> Let, Let's see some shot, too. Let's go. Yeah. Strife, Strife was in the first X-Men issue I ever read. It was like a random crossover with Deadpool with X-Force. Like, they uh-huh. jumped to the future and Strife was there. And I was like, this guy looks like a Power Rangers villain, but he looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm into it. I, I do think... I mean, yeah, it's like it's, it's his, like, alternate future version not in that not literally well, but like it's a cool villain no, to have he's not yeah, an not, alternate not, future yeah yeah version. I, I he's a it's clone his, of cable yes right but, but it's yeah. him now, grown up in a different world yeah right because this i mean let, let's just talk about some x-men time travel bs yeah. for a second if strife <laughs> is fully grown and strife yeah. is already cloned from before wherever team cable split off yeah. strife already has a ton of old man cable-ish knowledge Mm-hmm. parallel to the journeys he's been through. And this is definitely an adult strife, which means like when in Strife's timeline, is he here in the present day? Is this a, is this some extant other version of Strife? Has he been resurrected somehow? Is Or is this some in-between times version of Strife that's before he gets killed ultimately? Like Strife is one of those characters yeah. that you can't just say, oh, he's here. Like it comes that's, with a lot more baggage <laughs> than that. That's exactly <laughs> my note here. I was like, since Strife is a time traveler, do we know if this drive is from a certain point in time before he died, or did he survive his death that you know somehow <laughs> that we did not see? Right. This is exactly Doctor Who and River question. Mm. Do you guys think with yeah. my innocence it's better that I'm just like, oh, I guess Stripe's here. Okay, I'll keep reading. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's impossible. Like, talking about a comic yeah. guy that I never want to make, do not make me try to straighten out the continuity of Stripe's appearances i'm not i don't want to do it like as as long as he's not going to get his own book that's my nightmare because as soon as the character in the x line gets their own title book strife number one then i'm like oh i've got to make a comic guide for that character. there goes your that there goes a whole season for me of trying to throw all strife's appearances in chronological order so Uh. not only is this scene obviously amazing 
But there's two more scenes. So we're back to the family thing. Coming back to the why I was dissenting with Tyler at the beginning of this episode is there's a ton of setups in this episode. It is not decompressed. This is like the fifth or sixth different scene that we have now that we're back into the family (laughs) thing. You know, they're having dinner, jeans, chopping vegetables, not even using her telekinesis, but still wearing a green miniskirt. Cable is calling his father, Scott. Who does anybody here call their parents by their first name? I do sometimes. I'm Asian. Yeah, so that's (laughs) not a lot. I don't. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I love this scene. Yeah, it's so good. And then, but then we get another scene after this. But before we go there, there's a data page that's like, the kid doesn't strike me as a big reader. Sage is like, all right, nah, this kid is not here to broaden his mind. Like clearly yeah. something's up here. But again, for X-Men, ostensibly the, the flagship book being the book that has the main thrust of the Summers relationship, I got so much more from these two pages of dinner scene with Scott and Jean and Rachel and Cable than I've gotten from Scott in all of Hickman's X-Men so far. Duggan ate Hickman's lunch in this issue. Like he really did just take the dynamic that Hickman established and just did it in a in a better way. Like I don't, I don't think there's any argument about that. It's just, it's warmer, It's it feels more realized, it's deeper, like it, it just, it works so well. Yeah. And it made I me mean, like, be- really care about them as a as a group with really weird connect like no one of them fully has a connection to the other one right like they all are <laughs> well, like no. through time or death Scott or something and Jean. yeah but even well, yeah. you know what i mean i know i know what you mean like <laughs> that's a strange thing because this scott was a revived scott um that was revived by a piece of phoenix force and then oh, right. this gene was revived by Phoenix Force, Phoenix Force again after the first yeah. gene was, and then you know. Cable is the child of Scott and Madeline yeah and they're not all Gene and then Rachel is yeah. an alternate timeline child of <laughs> well, it the works. two of them they're yeah, all united so by their weirdness all, yeah you know? well and in some ways Rachel was the one who took care of Cable for for a while and Scott before, and Jean too in the adventure. Yeah, before of they pulled them Phoenix. into yeah, True. yeah, correct. So, so it was really cool. So we love the family scene, but then we get one more kicker. I was sure that that strife thing was going to be the last page of the issue. Like <laughs> I, I didn't really know where I was in it, but no, because it's strife, he goes to a certain person, and since he's at the bar, I thought he was going to ask Blob to be at his team. And I was like, <laughs> Blob, Blob, Blob. But no, even better. He asks Domino, and Domino, in just an amazing page by Noto, is, of course it's going to be weird. When has that ever stopped us? And I, that sealed my love of this issue. It was amazing. There's something so so beautiful about her facial expression. Like, it's kind of bemused. It's kind of, like, welcoming. It's, like, just kind of, like, there's such, like, there's so much personality there, you know? It's a great page. It's, like, really good even for Noto with the faces. And I, I, I imagine Douglas is having, like, introducing Bay to, like, alcohol and stuff like that. Oh, because in the background, it's Doug. Right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think Noto is, like, obsessed with Doug, honestly. He seems to really <laughs> like drawing Doug. <laughs> well, I mean, what is there to say? I know it was a lot of gushing. Maybe we didn't... Di- I mean, I guess the one thing we didn't, like, super talk about here is... What does Strife need with mutant babies? It's major echoes of Inferno, right? Like... Mm, yeah. Any, I don't know what is. I don't know. I have no idea because I don't know where this obsession with like mutant babies is coming from. Um, he has never been. I don't know. I don't know what he what his plans are. And like, how does the classic strife plans intersect with Krakoa? Right, like he wasn't resurrected on Krakoa because he's a clone and yeah. he's not a present day mutant. So regardless of where he came from, like, w- wouldn't he like Krakoa? Like. Because he's he's from the Apocalypse future and Apocalypse partly raised him and he's kind of very defined by the whole survival of the fittest thing. Like, I don't know. It's just, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just fascinated to think about like, why would Strife and what what does he need with mutant babies? It's just a very strange little conundrum that Duggan has jumped up here. But we also have like, we also have the old cable thing that is dropped. Yeah. Well, that's kind of back. Yeah. I just know it. That's the thing. I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen to this title. Maybe like, uh, I mean, Strife isn't into Krakoa raising its kids kind of soft because it's a paradise. He wants to kind of have them a little tougher. That's mm-hmm. my prediction. We'll circle back in a month and see. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also interesting to me if we play this beat of like 
maybe that's how old Cable comes back in. He's chasing Strife, but it's like from some other point in the timeline and they're both trying to prevent something, but that means old Cable knew about Krakoa all along. Like there's a lot of potential beats to play out. (laughs) I know. And also I want to come back to Strife in that awesome pink page. Says, I need 10 of the brats. Get me five of them. And behind him, there's a number of tanks with people in them. So why yeah. does he only ask for five? And what is what is he going to do with them in a bunch of tanks? You know, so there's Well, my, my assumption is that he already has five. And that's where the other five is. Yeah. Ooh. That they're already there. Well, if no, he, he, need yeah. he needs the ten. Yeah. That yeah. implies that he needs he ten. Five but... of them. I don't know. It's good stuff. I know. I know. So we love this. Is there anything else to say other than read this darn I... issue if you haven't already? How did you get through <laughs> this whole conversation and not go and read it yet? I don't know. But if you have it, it's time. This issue just showed me that like Phil Noto and Jerry Duggan are, are a great team. Like once like Jerry Duggan's able to like crack into like a character's humanity and just personality like he did with Cable in this issue, like Noto's able to kind of realize that with like as we've said a hundred times, so much personality with the faces and like with the, with the, with the movement and body language, what have you. I just think they, they work really well together. And I, I hope it can keep this going. Yep. I agree. That brings us to the close of our discussion of this week's two books and looking ahead at next week, if all of those books hit, we're gonna. I'm gonna need a nap in the middle of the episode. Currently projected is New Mutants 15, a second issue of this new New Mutants arc. Excalibur 17, Wolverine number nine, and X Men 17. That's a lot of X books. Is there any? Which one of those four, Harry, are you the most hyped for? New Mutants, Excalibur, Wolverine, X Men. New Mutants by a country mile. The X Men book has Brett Booth. <laughs> We will definitely be getting into that next week. Tyler? <laughs> um, yeah, as of now, um, New Mutants. As much as I want to say New Mutants, I was really into where Excalibur ended with Betsy and Angel. Mm-hmm. And that, and that. So if we're going to get a whole Betsy issue of like wherever she's stuck, that is going to really excite me in Excalibur. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I think I'm the most interested to see the Shadow King plot continue in New Mutants. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, that has been quite a discussion of the two issues this week, and we have a big week ahead next week. So uh, if you have not already subscribed, please subscribe through whatever means you are listening to or watching this. We really appreciate you having having you along for this journey, because the reason we do it together is X-Men is better when it's read together. And whether we don't like an issue or we do like it and we're about to like it more, it just brings out so much more when we get to talk about it together. And we're not Mm -hmm. only talking about it with each other, we're talking about it with you and to you. So we really are interested in your thoughts and feedback as well whether that's in comments on Twitter or wherever you would like to find us. So on behalf of Tyler and Harry and myself, we want to thank you so much for tuning in for another This Week in X and we'll see you next week. And until then, please be well. Bye. Bye.